0: At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business are heroic and you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance. Wholeheartedly for you. The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sorasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose, the Talking Beard
1: Rivera. Welcome to Serasso and the Beard podcast, episode 49. I am Nick Sarasso.
0: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera.
1: And Jose, we are back after a little bit of a break. We started when the NBA playoffs were just beginning. We're in the mid part of the second round. With a lot of teams just on the brink of elimination, we're going to get to that on which teams we think can come back to the 3-2 deficit while we're recording this podcast on, what's it, Wednesday, May 8th, the uh, Celtics are playing Milwaukee in the background for me. So with that though, we have to talk about something before then, and that's the NFL draft and a lot of different things going on, a lot of giant mistakes, I cannot wait to get into that part of the Giants but I want to start with Kyle Murray first pick of the draft first player ever to go in the MLB and NFL first round but Arizona already had a quarterback in Josh Rosen they go Murray did you like the pick and
0: this is the future that Arizona is going with now you know to be honest with you I I do and I don't like the pick it's a little bit of mixed feelings here there's no denying that Kyler Murray is a talented athlete um, very mobile QB. You saw it in Oklahoma. The stats don't lie. But at the same time, you know, we talked about it numerous times about his size. We don't know how how much of a given he is to succeed on an NFL level, right? Sometimes these mobile QBs don't succeed as well. Lamar Jackson is a good example. A great runner, good mobile QB. Very, you know, nimble on his feet outside of the pocket, but. His throwing accuracy is not great, so I can see a lot of player comps between Kyler Murray and um, Lamar Jackson going ahead in the future. But if you're the Arizona Cardinals, I just I don't like the turnover that just happened in one year. You know, you bring in a new head coach. I understand you want to get your guys in place. And I, although I do like them taking a chance with Kyler Murray, I don't necessarily love that. Just gave up on Josh Rosen so quickly here, right now. It makes sense because if you would have kept Rosen and Murray, uh, you know, it would have been a distraction all year. It would have been a, uh, a player battle during, obviously, during uh, training camp. And, and really, if one does poorly, then the other one's value goes down, right? And then you can't necessarily trade him. So I completely understand getting rid of Josh Rosen now if you're the Cardinals. But honestly, I really feel like they should have done it before the draft because, It was a giant distraction, and I just think it makes the Cardinals look a little petty. I mean, you draft Murray, and then Josh Rosen unfollows the Cardinals on Twitter. And honestly, you know, all the credit in the world to Josh Rosen. I think he really handled this really maturely. You know, Rosen could have definitely kicked and screamed. He could have definitely complained and been like the Arizona Cardinals are doing me dirty and all this other stuff, but when he did get traded away, Rosen wrote that thoughtful letter thanking the Arizona Cardinals for drafting him and for giving him a chance. So first and foremost, kudos to Rosen for being a real athlete and a real professional there. But going back to Murray and the Cardinals, I like that they're taking a chance on a guy like Murray, but at the same time, I really feel like Josh Rosen, even though he had a poor first year, is more of a given in terms of a successful quarterback in the NFL than Kyler Murray is. So I feel like the Cardinals went from a given good future quarterback to taking a chance on a mobile QB like Kyler Murray.
1: I think there there's a lot of potential when it comes to Kyler Murray. But to say he's by far better than Josh Rosen, I don't see it. At all. I, I had Rosen as extremely high a year ago. I thought he was easily the third best quarterback. Uh, easily the second best quarterback. I wasn't as high on Baker Mayfield as many others were. I thought he would have been a great fit for the New York Giants last year. And I'm still high on Rosen at the end of the day. But when you look at the Cardinals draft, and it's okay they went Kyle Murray. But you had the first pick in this draft. If your decision was going to go with Murray, you have to trade Josh Rosen much earlier than the day of the draft. And not even the day of the draft. Like, the day after and late into the next day. To the Miami Dolphins for a third rounder. That's all you get for Josh Rosen. A third rounder when you just drafted him last year. A third rounder when, you know, is he better than Daniel Jones who goes sit? Is he better than Drew Lott that goes... In the second round at 44th, yeah, he's easily better than both of those guys, but he's getting a value of less. So for Arizona to not even fix one of their core problems, which is you had a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach a year prior, it didn't work for you. You have a terrible offensive line, you might have tried to improve it, but your first pick in the first round, you go quarterback and you have a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach to begin a new year you should have gotten at least a second rounder or possibly a late first rounder for Josh Rosen then. So that was mistake number one by the Cardinals. There's a lot more question marks I still have about Arizona because of the fact that you're still left with the same thing that you were the year ago. You know, Not a great team, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, and a lot of question marks when it comes to Kyle Murray in my eyes. But,
0: you know, I was a... But I mean, sorry to cut you off, Nick. But let's put it this way: Let's say you take all the QBs who were available last year. Where does Kyler Murray even rank amongst those guys?
1: I think he goes. If you look at him, I would say he's probably between Josh Rosen and Josh Allen.
0: Really? Because I I firmly believe, you know, outside of you know, I I think I have them. I have him ranked behind Darnold, behind Rosen, behind Allen. I think I would even take Mayfield um, over Kyler Murray. So I think I have him ranked towards the bottom. I think him and Lamar Jackson were probably, you know, what there was like six good QBs last year they could have taken, I think him and Lamar Jackson could have been five and six respectively.
1: Yeah, I think the easy one is he would have been above Lamar Jackson. But as far as the other quarterbacks last year, I I don't see him being ahead of anybody of that statue and status. It's this I feel was a complete mistake. and this could easily blow up in their faces. This is more of a risk than anything else.
0: And you know, and you praise them for taking the risk, but at the same time, because if this works out, we're all looking at them like, oh man, they're a genius, you know they did the right thing. They got their new franchise QB. and again, I totally get it. New head coach, you know he's gonna want his guy in there. you know, honestly, I think if you're Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think you can say, oh, I couldn't work with Josh Rosen. I mean, did you even try? But at the same time, I understand they want to get their guy in there. But like you said, this is a 50-50 chance it's going to work for the Cardinals. And honestly, they didn't give them a chance last year, even though they had a bad team. So my question is, how much of you know how much rope does Kyler Murray and the new Cardinals get now in year well, one? Well, Murray's going to get all the rope in the world. Oh Well, let's hope so, because I don't think if the Cardinals find themselves they might draft Tua and trade Murray <laughs> seventh-rounder. <laughs> like.
1: No, okay, so Murray's – they're sticking with Murray no matter what. Murray would have to be having one of the worst seasons all time as a rookie quarterback ever. Uh, because even if he shows, like, serious flaws and limitations, hell, we saw Tebow make it a few seasons in the NFL as a first-round draft pick. You know, there's a certain point where he's got to be above and beyond terrible. And the only way you can be above and beyond terrible is to not be the starting quarterback week one for some reason. That's the only way I look at that and say, um, the Denver Broncos, a few years back, how, how many times did we see like Trevor Simeon and constantly other guys like first-rounder, seven-rounder, just couldn't do it no matter what. Could not break free, couldn't get past anybody, and it results in eventually, you know, it was a terrible pick. That's the only way this is going to be the ultimate mistake on Kyle Murray. There are other ways to view it as, you know, it's not going to work out well Is when Josh Rosen for the Miami Dolphins is playing better than Kyle Murray. That one will stand out. But you're not giving up on Kyle Murray at any point this season. You have a better chance of giving up on the head coach who's never coached in the NFL before, who really struggled at times in college and is just loved for his offense abilities be, only because of like just the friends that he has around him. Uh, I think you have a better chance on that one than the, the quarterback any day of the week. Uh, but let's look at it on the Josh Rosen side for a moment. How excited for you are for the AFC East? Because now in the AFC East, there's obviously Tom Brady. But we look at and we have Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, all from the same draft. All guys in the first round. All guys that were, what, within the top 10? Or, or yeah, I think Allen went before Rosen in the end. Or just slightly after. Either way, all first round guys, all in the first fifteen pits or so, and three of them are in the same division now.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's really exciting. I mean that that makes that makes for good entertainment from an entertainment standpoint. Um, you're talking about arguably the top three QBs from last year's draft, like you said, all in the same division, going up against the old timer. In Tom Brady right and and when Tom Brady's retired and when it's a couple of years down the road we could be talking about one of these kids being the best QB in the league at right now right fast forward five or six years from now you can picture yourself talking about Darnold being the best QB you can picture yourself talking about Josh Allen being like yeah he's the guy right now one of these guys can very easily be the next Tom Brady and yet they all play in the same division I'm very happy for Josh Rosen that he's getting a clean slate in Miami, I think that is a franchise that's very smart. Um, you know, I think they're going to do this right. I think instead of tanking for a QB next year or trading up to get one this year, they saw one available through trade. They knew the Cardinals would have to get rid of him if they drafted Kyler Murray. So kudos to the Dolphins for, trying, for getting Josh Rosen. Very excited for him to have a clean slate in general and to get to work and to show that he's still a good young quarterback in this league. And yeah, I'm just really excited, man. I mean, you're talking about the three best QBs from last year's draft, all in the same division, all very strong kids, all very smart kids, playing up against one of the best QBs of all time, if not the best NFL player of all time in Tom Brady. That's going to be very fun to watch, and it's going to be very, very entertaining football all year long.
1: Yeah, when we say three best, both of us also had like Baker Mayfield a little bit lower than what? You know he obviously yeah, I mean, went. I I have yeah.
0: him at fourth behind those three guys. I mean, obviously, I you know after I, year one,
1: Baker looks like he's number one. But you know, there's always that possibility. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of Baker, on the same on the same factor, Baker and Lamar Jackson, part of that draft as well. Five of the sixteen quarterbacks in the AFC are from that draft, and we're looking at are in the same league that to me is the incredible part as much as we wanted again we're talking about kyle murray on this but arizona's going to go nowhere this year there's a reason why they only won three games or so they had a rookie head they're having the same issues rookie head coach rookie quarterback and as much as i'm interested to see how kyle murray does I'm I'm not going to be sold on it till, you know, we get a few games in. There's offensive pieces around this team that work well, but the line's not great. The stats don't really point in Murray's favor at the end of the day. And the division is going to be extremely hard for him to win against. That I, I don't expect a great year from the Arizona Cardinals at all. And... It basically, last year became a waste. That was what they did in this draft. They declared last year was a wasted year and a wasted time. And I'm sorry to the fans. And we got nothing for it. Because what we got was a third-round draft pick for Josh Rosen. So that that's all Arizona said in that. Uh, at the end of the day, Murray's going to have to be a superstar if this is going to work out real well, you know. Obviously, I'm not going to go long before I'm talking about the Giants. Um, the next word about that was taken in the draft—that sits. <laughs> I, wow, I thought I could do it without laughing. It was Daniel Jones for the Giants? The Giants had three first-round draft picks in a in a draft class that you really didn't want to have that many draft picks in the first round. They go Daniel Jones, the Odell Beckham trade. Their seventeenth pick was for Dexter Lawrence at that point, and then they traded back into the first round for, you know, a nice piece, but not anything of like, you know, super special at that point. Um. Yeah, how much did the Giants mess up?
0: You know, it's it's so interesting, the New York Giants. I mean. The team who probably should have taken a Q, taken a QB last year, doesn't, and I love Saquon. But let's be honest, the giant—you know—the the time to get a QB was when you had seven of them available last year. This year's draft class, significant downgrade. We can agree on that from last year's QB draft class, right? It was a defensive draft. It was a defensive draft, and you know, someone taught me something one time, Nick. I believe his name was Nick Sarasso. That you don't draft, you know, you don't draft for need. You draft the best overall player available, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's football at the end of the day.
0: Now, there are some exceptions. Like, for example, when the Dallas Cowboys had the fourth overall pick, it wasn't that the Cowboys were, you know, trending downward. They just had a bad season and they knew that they were going to compete next year. So what did they do? They picked up Ezekiel Elliott because that was the piece that they were missing. And yet they were back into being a dominating team again. So on the rare occasions that you have a down year, yes, you can get that player, that missing piece that you need, and then go back to being a winning team and having a late pick later in the draft. Point is, for the Giants, there's a lot of holes in this team. They're not going to compete next year. So there should really be no pressure at all to take a quarterback this year. There is a better quarterback class next year. So if you're the Giants, if it means losing one more season or having a mediocre season and having to trade up within the top 10 next year, then so do it. There is no reason at all that the Giants had such a quarterback in this draft. However, I'll defend them on this. If they really wanted a QB of the future, fine. But there's no reason, Nick, no reason at all, that Daniel Jones should be going number 6 in this draft, I know David Gediman was saying, "Oh, we heard people wanted him at at at, at fifteen and stuff." Yeah, that's because everybody assumed you were going to take Dwayne Haskins. Once you passed on Haskins, everybody was like, "Okay, we're just going to take Haskins instead." So, I'll defend the Giants in the sense where if they wanted a QB, fine. If you want Daniel Jones, fine. But do not use the sixth pick to get Daniel Jones because this is the part that bothered me. You used the sixth pick overall in the draft, to get a QB that would have been there at 17 in the first round. He would have been there at 29 when they traded back into the first round. Hell, I'm willing to bet all the money I have in my bank account, which is not much, Nick. It's not much. But it's a significant amount to bet that Daniel Jones probably would have been available in the second round. So why am I so mad at the the Giants? Not really because they chose a QB. Not because they didn't wait for a better draft class next year. But because at six, Josh Allen was available. No, not Josh Allen, the QB from last year. Josh Allen, arguably the best defensive player in this draft, not named Nick Bosa from the University of Kentucky, was available at six. First of all, it was a joke that Josh Allen was even available at six, right? He probably should have went off the board a lot earlier. But for the Giants to sit there and feel comfortable Passing on one of the best edge rushers in this draft to go get a QB that would have been there in the second round is honestly just disgusting. It's disgraceful. And especially when the Giants need an edge rusher. It's not like they don't need another defensive end. They actually need one. That is what bothers me about this draft. Because actually, overall, it wasn't a terrible draft by the Giants. I feel like they filled a lot of their needs in, in the later rounds. But where they did mess up, where they did make a huge mistake, was passing on Josh Allen. Every
1: sign points to the fact that the Giants should have got Daniel Jones at 17. Dwayne Haskins goes at 15. Nobody traded up. No one is trading up for a quarterback from Duke. Why? Because no one... No GM is going to set he get to be told that was a great move. No. No, th- this isn't college basketball and this isn't the NBA draft. It's not Zion Williamson either. No. <laughs> and and it's great that, you know, some guys played extremely well. Uh obviously, yes. Uh, Josh Allen is the easiest choice. And I know I just said one from Duke, and he's from Kentucky, and we're not talking about college basketball, but he was amazing. And the fact that it was Kentucky was a nationally ranked team, and they had no offense. I enjoyed watching a lot of Kentucky's games. They covered the spread pretty well at times, and they were an easy team to either bet on or bet against, because... Kentucky is just really hard to put into a college football bet, but Josh Allen was a huge part of that. He was easily, if not, he's one of the top three best players in the entire draft. Quinn Williams, I thought, was number one. Nick Bosa, I had a two, and then Josh Allen was three. I don't count the quarterbacks. Daniel Jones pretty easily went in the second round. That's proof because Drew Locke, who was considered the third best quarterback, goes in the second round. No one's trading up for Locke. And they did. They did in the second round. No one traded up for Dwayne Haskins, who was probably the best quarterback in this draft. And again, you pointed out, the fact is the Giants passed out on on was easily a great quarterback draft the year prior which was a far more entertaining draft because it just, you know, had a ton of quarterbacks. They pass, and they get Saquon Bartley. And there's no argument Saquon Bartley is a tremendous player, a fantastic running back, but he's a running back. A running back you can't make a franchise around. And a running back is easily replaceable. And a running back I could care less about because when it comes to the playoffs, How many times is the running back of the team missing? It was a year where it was... To start the playoffs, of the 12 teams, 8 of them, the starting running back, was injured. Another 3, the backup running back, was injured. They, They are replaceable immensely. What's not replaceable? A possible franchise quarterback. For you to tell me Daniel Jones is that? No. For you to tell me Daniel Jones is a better choice than, as you said, Tua will be available next year. If they're going to lose for two more years, they'll have guys like Lawrence from Clemson possibly available. That's great. But at number six, you make an impact player. Not a guy that's going to be on a clipboard for three years with the Eli Manning. Just Dettelman said, "Oh, he's not going to. P- he probably won't play for a couple of years." <laughs> then you shouldn't have taken him at the sixth pick. Because he's not going to impact your team in any positive way for years to come. This isn't baseball. Baseball, you can do that draft pick. Baseball, okay. He'll play in the minors for a few years. We'll see him in a couple. We'll see him in five years. Sure. That made sense in baseball, but not in football, not in the NBA. It was a terrible move, and the Giants had one of the worst drafts I've ever seen on a team that really could do no wrong if they took Josh Allen. We're going with the best defensive player. We're going with the best possible players to get each way, and that's how we're just going to do it. We're not worried about having a quarterback. Eli's our quarterback next season. We'll worry about a quarterback when we reach that road, when Eli's going to retire, and we get to that moment. Because teams like the Patriots do that as well. They don't have a quarterback replacement right now. Why should we? The Giants should have came out and said something like that, and we'd be like, okay, weird, but all right, I'll roll with it. But this, this is an absolute mess. Is it? Is this any way to be fitsable for the
0: Giants? Honestly, I, I think it's very possible that the Giants have another bad year, which, you know, it could, you know, which could happen. You know, I feel like the giants really are of a flip of a coin because you trade Odell Beckham, but then you sign a guy like golden Tate, you extend Sterling Shepard, which I think was the right move. And if Eli, who I'm not convinced Eli Manning is completely done for, I think Eli Manning is not good as he once was. Is he a st- is he a step slower? Sure. Can you still win some games with Eli Manning as QB? Definitely. But I think you're looking at a team that's 500 at best on the season. And I think that's even saying that they're a 500 team is being really kind to them. So I could really see the Giants next year being in a position where they have another high draft pick and actually them taking another QB. And that's the only way you could fix this because, again, next year's QB class is so much better. I can tell you that Eli Manning's replacement is not Daniel Jones. Or, you know, I would love for him to prove me wrong. Maybe it is Daniel Jones. But the fact is, is that not only did you pass on Josh Allen, but you also passed on Montez Sweat. And Montez Sweat is another fantastic defensive end rusher, and he also went to Washington. So honestly, for the Giants, I think they had a pretty solid draft after that sixth pick. So it's not as bad as people are making it seem. But the only way this is fixable is if they happen to get another QB and have him and Daniel Jones battle it out in years to come. But right now, it's very hard to believe in what the Giants are doing with Daniel Jones. On paper, it just doesn't look good. Do we all hope that Daniel Jones proves us wrong? Sure, I hope he has a fantastic career. But right now, I just I have a hard time believing that he's the, the future QB of the Giants. Well,
1: you if you're the Giants, right? And let's say Eli Manning starts all 16 games. He's not great, but he's not... Okay, let's go see what Daniel Jones is because Eli Manning's probably going to be on this team next year as well, right? We'll, we'll assume Eli plays for two years this year and next year. He may play longer than that. Okay, so you didn't see at all Daniel Jones. The only part you saw was during practice. Are you going to use your first round draft pick on another quarterback? Or are you going to stick with Daniel Jones at that point?
0: I mean, honestly, it's a tough choice. Me, personally, I would go with another quarterback because I just firmly believe all the QBs next year are going to be better than Daniel Jones. Honestly, Daniel Jones, this could turn into Davis Webb
1: 2.0. I think this is easily Davis Webb, except it's multiple pits higher and... It
0: looks worse because at least David Webb was not in the first round.
1: Yeah, You know, how many, we always see quarterbacks go in the third round, fourth round. And it's like, okay, we're going to take a flyer on
0: you. If I, I really liked Will Greer from West Virginia. He went in the third round or fourth round to a team that already has an established quarterback in the Panthers.
1: Yeah, but you never know what Cam Newton's going to do this year. Cam Newton might not even play. There's questions right, to well,
0: that. That could be a discussion for a different podcast. Yeah, Although but the point, McCaffrey
1: looks huge. That he's like, I'm going to do it all on my own anyway. But
0: yeah. the point is, though, is that the Giants may have made a huge mistake. May that they can't? I mean, <laughs> hey, I mean, if Daniel Jones goes out there and lights it up on the field, no one's talking about this anymore, right? If Daniel Jones goes out there and takes over for a struggling Eli Manning, and all of a sudden, if the Giants go. Even if the Giants go 7-9 and nine next year, in the full season, you're not going to call that a successful season for a team that we're all expecting to have a crappy year?
1: I'll be happy if the Giants score 7-9 and nine points.
0: Well, they still have a talented offense enough to do that. They still have Sterling Shepard. They still have Evan Ingram. They still have Barkley. They still have Golden Tate. You know, So if anything, if they do bring in Daniel Jones, the Giants did do a good job of giving him at least – some sort of good receivers around him to work with. Because, again, Sterling Shepard's still a good wide receiver. You have a good running back in Barkley. Golden Tate is a veteran wide receiver who can still make some plays. A little bit worried about his age. But, you know, if anything, the Giants really have to hope that Daniel Jones lives up tonight. Because if he's not, and if he doesn't, we're going to be talking about this for a long time, about a waste of a draft pick. And, again... I don't think they're. I don't think it's a bad thing for the Giants to realize they made a mistake and get another QB next year with the first round pick, because the draft class is just so much better. It could be arguably better than last year's draft class, which might be hard to beat. But if you're the Giants and you don't have another winning season, at this point, it wouldn't hurt to do that because you already passed on two of the best defensive end rushers that honestly you also need for this year, and they didn't get. Is.
1: Dave Gettleman on the hot seat.
0: Honestly, I don't I don't think he is because if Gettleman was allowed to trade Odell and if Gettleman was allowed to make this pick, I don't think you make this pick without the backing of ownership, right? You don't just go out there and be like, yeah, I'm going to take this QB that I could have gotten in the fourth round with the six-pick, because you know why? I'm a genius. I'm a god. And I don't think the Mars are going to be there and be like, yeah, I, I think he is too. No, they're going to be like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? So I really think he has backing on this from the owners. I think, the, you know, we know the owners have a good relationship with Eli. Maybe they're on board with this. Maybe they are okay with Eli hanging around a couple more seasons. Honestly, this is not the first time the Giants have had a bad GM at the helm. Jerry, you know... Jerry Reese was not exactly a wise GM either. Um, but at least he made some of the wiser choices you know, for the franchise. It's hard to say that Gettleman is on the hot seat because we don't know exactly what the plan is. If Daniel Jones doesn't play a game this year because Eli's playing decently, is that Gettleman's fault? Not really. So I don't think Gettleman will be on the hot seat until we actually see what Daniel Jones has. Now, if Daniel Jones is got awful, then I think maybe... Yeah, I think we're we're heading towards a point where we have to start blaming Gentlemen. I mean, we already are blaming him, but I think that's when ownership will kind of turn their heads and be like, oh, maybe you're not the GM that we thought you were when we brought you in. Maybe we're not. No, you
1: were not the GM we thought you were when we brought it in. Look, you replace, you trade away Odell Beckham, and the result is we, the Giants see Dolden Tate, who's getting older, who's... You know, okay, but he's not Odell Beckham at the end of the day. And Dexter Lawrence, who's, you know, decent. You got Daniel Jones when you could have waited a year for another quarterback. When you proved that you didn't want a quarterback the year prior, and in no way, shape, or form, Daniel Jones, Jones is anything to what the quarterbacks were one year ago. And the way I also looked at it, He's on the hot seat, not just because of what he's doing to the Giants, but what his division rival is doing. The Washington Redskins took Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is probably going to be the starting quarterback for the Redskins this season. Maybe indefinite, maybe not. But he's going to be the starter this year. He's got no one he's got to really beat out. If he plays extremely well, Dave Gettleman's going to be the first one that takes a lot of heat. If Montez Sweat plays extremely well, Dave Gettleman is going to be the first guy that takes a lot of heat because the Giants had two first-round draft picks. And instead of taking Dez Lawrence, they could have took a risk player. With high, high potential upside. And then it's all of a sudden, you know, this may be a a really good trade by the Giants on trading Odell Beckham. Because we've gotten now a real high upside player. One that's worth this kind of risk with the pieces we got around it. So this is a lot on the Washington Redskins, I feel, as much as it is on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones will be the centerpiece of Dave Gettleman for the rest of you know, his time being. And if Daniel Jones fails, Dave Gettleman might be fired because of it. But if the Redskins have a phenomenal year and those two guys are a main reason why, Dave Gettleman should be fired. He should already be considered on the hot seat for every dumb move he's doing. But if the Redskins have a great year You don't give Dave Dettleman another season. You just fire him flat out. Because you chose Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins. You are taking full responsibility if this backfires and blows up in your face. At the end of the day, it's the easiest decision ever for the Giants. Okay, so as much as we're done blasting the Giants, maybe, who in your eyes, had the best draft?
0: Well, you just got done talking about them. I think the Washington Redskins really did a fantastic job in this draft. Um, They traded um, for Case Keenum uh, from the Broncos. So they had a QB already to replace Alex Smith, who technically probably is out the rest of the season. Um, There, you know, with that gruesome injury that he had last year. But they go out there and they see that, you know, Haskins is out there available at 15. I think they did the right thing by picking Haskins um, and getting themselves another QB. Why? Because, you know, Case Keenum isn't exactly the, great, uh, the greatest QB out there anyways. So I think by bringing in Haskins, you have a good young quarterback who will eventually be the QB of this team. And if he's not ready off the bat, then you have a guy like Keenum who's a good stopgap option until Haskins is ready. Um, now, I wasn't the biggest fan of Haskins going into this draft. But, but I think physically and stat wise, he was the best QB in this draft. So and like you said, the Giants passed on him. The Redskins must be loving that and said, Yeah, we're gonna draft this guy. This kid wanted to go to New York, and now he's gonna be extremely motivated. Not only because he went at fifteen, but the fact that the team that he wanted to, that he wanted to draft him passed on him, this kid's gonna be extremely motivated to go out there and beat them twice a year. On top of that not only did they get Dwayne Haskins, but they also drafted Montez Sweat, who, again, was the second-best edge rusher in this draft. Two people that the Giants should have gotten, or you could argue they should have gotten, are now with their division rival, which adds to already good defense with the Redskins. Remember, they signed Landon Collins, too. So the Redskins have really tightened up their defense this year. Adding Montez Sweat helps. And getting a QB like Haskins is a good step in the right direction for the Redskins, who, again, this is not an easy division. The Eagles are still going to be there. The Cowboys are still going to be there. So for the Redskins to, add, to throw their hat into the mix, they had to have a good draft. I think they did that. Why? Because they got their QB of the future when they didn't necessarily need one, but they saw one there that would be good to have for the future, and they get themselves an excellent edge rusher in Montez Sweat.
1: So I'm going to take an interesting team. I as much as I want to say the Miami Dolphins, I can't because, you know, technically speaking, Josh, I, I, as much as I want to count Josh Rosen in this list of, you know, the trade for him, they should be the winner of the draft. You can technically say, well, maybe it's the Cowboys for getting Amari Cooper, or maybe it's the Bears for getting Khalil Mack at that point, or it could be the Browns for getting Odell. So I'm not going to go into that route. Uh, What I am going to pitch is the Denver Broncos. When you think of the Denver Broncos, the first thing is really just, you know, Von Miller, defense. So they already have their defenses set. And obviously the offense has a bit of question marks, as much as I love Emmanuel Sanders and as much as I really like Joe Flacco, but Joe Flacco is just not a good quarterback anymore. The fact is, Drew Lott was considered the third best quarterback in this draft and was. Really, on a lot of people's board, on like a top 15 draft pitch. Where at worst, he was going to Washington at 15. He was more considered in the top 10. They get him at 42. But what they also get, they moved back in the draft when they traded with Pittsburgh. Noah Fant, tight end. Dalton Reisner, offensive line. Later on in the draft, in the sixth round, Jawan Winfrey. Wide receiver. Add that in with Drew Locke. That's... Only two other pits they had in the draft, they went defense. That's their offense right there. You had an offensive lineman in the second round, a quarterback, a tight end, and a late wide receiver. You've completed your offense. Because we already know Denver's got already a a nice couple pieces with Lindsey if they can keep Sanders. You're, you're talking about offensive pieces already there. Add a tight end to the team. Add alignment. A and to also get a quarterback in the second round that was considered in the first. And they didn't take a Marley Giants. That, to me, is going to be the winner of the draft. If it may not work out for Denver, Drew Locke may be an ultimate fail. But you know what? He has got taken in the second round. Complete flyer at that point. And it looks like a great move. So for me, I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos. Had the best draft. As, as much as I love, again, Washington. And I love Miami getting Rosen. I'm googling Denver on this one. Because they had to go offense. And they went full out offense in this draft. All right. Is there any team outside of the Giants that you feel at the worst draft?
0: Uh, you know, you, you can. Uh, I mean, a lot of teams made some surprising picks. I'm not going to lie, um, but and I know you have a team in mind, but I, I'm really just disappointed with the Giants in general. I'm going to I'm going to stick with the Giants for that, Nick, um, just because, especially you know, especially since you know we're Giants fans and. I'm not trying to be biased here and choose my own team here, but I really think this is the team that messed up the most, right? This is a team that had, you know, it was supposed to be a clear agenda. You know, they had numerous holes to fill. I just, I really don't believe any team messed up more than the Giants did in this draft.
1: Yeah, obviously for me, it's I'm obviously going to have to take the Giants, but in, in the thought about being different, and in the hopes of always trying to, you know, go a different route than most of the others. You know, the Oakland Raiders, they may have had a lot of pits in this draft. But they're, to me, are, are the biggest losers as well. You know, they're the three first-rounders. But they deal a complete opposite turn to start off the draft with the fourth pitch with Farrell. A guy that was ranked in, like, the second round at Past the late first round, you go with the fourth pick. Like, you have to see something far more than anybody else. But the problem is, you could have got him later. Uh, then they go running back late in the first round. Uh, you know, how many times does a running back hit late in the first round? I think mean, the only one that we've said that successfully lately has been Sonny Michel. Because I can't think of anybody else. The only time running backs in the first round have done well Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Barkley. Fournette was in the first round a few years back, and he's turned out to be a complete miss. The fact is, running backs, I always don't view with any success. And to go running back with a 24th pitch is saying, like, this is what we traded Khalil Mack for. This is what we traded away Amari Cooper for is, you know, a running back. A complete fault on that one on there. They added some nice defensive pieces, but overall, it just looks like another way where John Gruden doesn't know what he's doing is in a complete mess and is just picking players he likes for certain things. And there was talk about like how they didn't even know what they were going to do and they sent everybody home like the day before the draft. And there's never going to be a time where I'm going to view that as a winner of a draft when your team is in that much dysfunction. So to me, Oakland was the biggest loser. All right, let's jump into the NBA for a little bit. You know, Obviously, Milwaukee's playing Boston right now as we're recording the podcast. Uh, they're in about the third quarter, and Milwaukee's going to win this series. That's not really much of a question. What is the question is, what about the other series going on? And later on tonight is Golden State and Houston, and we're not really going to try and focus on who wins that series. But the other two are 3-2 right now. So with that, Toronto leads three to two over the sitzers and Denver leads three to two over the blazers. Who
0: has the best chance of coming back? I think for me, the best chance of coming back has to be the trailblazers. Um, That series has been entertaining as hell to watch. I mean, quadruple overtime in that one game was insane. Um, So, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, but when I, you know, it's really because when I look at the 76ers, I see a team that does not mesh well together. I don't think Joel Embiid's style plays well with Ben Simmons. I don't think, you know, I don't think those two guys can be on the same court at the same time, and and you could win a basketball game. You know, when you have the Trailblazers, you have someone like Damian Lillard alongside C.J. McCollum. When those guys get hot, they get hot. They carry a team. Um, now, do I think either of these teams are coming back? I don't. I think Denver's hitting their stride right now, where. They're playing some really good basketball. Joe Kick is just unreal right now. I think the Raptors are also figuring figuring it out too, and they're finally on a good momentum run right now. So I don't think either team is coming back. But I have to choose one. I'm gonna go with the Trailblazers just because they have a more firepower offense, and I feel like their players actually gel well together and mix well together. I'm not saying Embiid and Simmons don't get along. I'm just saying, I don't think their playing styles mesh well together. I think there's too many mouths to feed on that 76ers offense, and there's not enough basketball to go around, if you know what I mean.
1: I'm. I'm I took a bet where Toronto was going to take on the uh, Warriors in the finals. So, as much as I don't want to say the 76ers, I think they have a better chance than Portland just because their home game sits. They play very, very good at home. And for, you know, last week we were considering the 76ers the much better team than Toronto. And now all of a sudden we're not even considering it as a possibility. So I think the 76ers, you can't count them out, but the way games five went for both of those teams, it's hard to consider, you know, Portland or the Sixers having a chance of winning the series. Just off those game fives, and uh, the great stat of like over 800 winning percentage of teams when it's 2 2 going into game five. The winner of game five wins the series. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's unlikely we were going to see any upset by those numbers. But certainly, some teams have looked impressive this uh, postseason. What's the team you're uh, what's team do you view as the hottest right now?
0: I'm going to go the hottest right now. I'm actually going to go with the Denver Nuggets. Um, you know, this is a team that we all knew, you know, is a really, really good team. You know, second in the Western Conference. They play extremely well at home. And they didn't exactly draw the, the best matchup in the first round with the Spurs. Right. We both had the Nuggets moving on to the next round but we both said that it was going to be an annoying series for them because it's going to take a while to dispatch the Spurs. I think they did extremely well against San Antonio. For a team that's being coached by Greg Popovich, I feel like the Nuggets were well in control in that series. Yes, it still took five or six games, but the Nuggets still look good coming out of it, right? Um, in this series, there was a couple of tough games where the Trailblazers got the best of them. But like I said, Joe Kick is just unreal right now. He's on another level. He's playing like that MVP that... He's not really getting credit for being. I mean, I saw a crazy and insane stat the other day, Nick, where Joe Kick is averaging. He's averaging, touching the basketball 95 times a game. C- can you think about that? Joe Kick is touching the basketball 95 times a game, right? So let's say he scores 30-something points. Let's say he takes about like 25 shots in the game. Okay, but those other... 50 to 70 times that he touches the basketball is all from either rebounding or assisting. He's a tremendous passer. I mean, for a big man to be that good of a passer and that good of an assist player, uh, I just think the Nuggets are unreal right now. Last night's game was crazy um, in terms of how they beat the Trailblazers. I just think they have so much power power in Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. Um, So I think right now, even though we knew the Nuggets were good, when I look at Denver, I feel like this is a team that can beat Golden State should they face each other in the next round. I know the Rockets are also still you know, in that series too. They're hanging tough with the Warriors. But if I look at Denver, I feel like if they can win Game 6 and not go to Game 7, if they can close the door on the Trailblazers now, I feel like momentum is heavily in their favor to help them go up against the Warriors. So who has been the best player this
1: postseason for you right now? Has it been Giannis? Is it Kawhi, Jokic, Durant, or James Harden? Or is there a different player in that that I haven't named?
0: No, for me, the best player I'm going to say is Jokic. And the only reason I say that is because we all know what Giannis is going to do. He's called the freak for a reason, right? We all know Kawhi is the main option on the Toronto Raptors. We all know what Kevin Durant's going to do. As much as we also know what Jokic is going to do, he's such a wild card because you don't know what he's going to do at the same time. Sometimes I forget how good of a basketball player he is. Why? Because he doesn't fit that mold when exactly when you look at him, right? When you look at him, you don't think, yeah, he's a superstar player. He just looks like an average Joe Center who's going to grab you 15 boards a game. But this guy is such a phenomenal player, Nick, and I know you like him a lot too. I mean, he just does everything and he's arguably up there with some of the best players in this league and yet he doesn't come across that way because of how where he sh- how well he shares the basketball and how quietly he does it within a uh, within a basketball game.
1: Uh, for me it's Twy Leonard just cuz like he's he's shooting like 64% from the field
0: how doing Kobe Bryant?
1: Yeah. And that's not easy to do. Um <laughs> And the Raptors are apparently I was hearing are plus a hundred and thirteen when he's on the court, and like minus fifty something when he's off. Like it, it just the idea of how much of this game he controls for Toronto, uh, it's it's hard to believe. And you know, let it roll as far as I'm concerned with this Warriors Raptors bet, but, um. <laughs> He's certainly so impressive right now. And it's very interesting because of the fact that, like, you know, he's a free agent. Kyrie Irving's the free agent. Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and a lot of these guys look like they're not going to stay on their teams. Just the way everyone is playing. So uh, when it comes to the Warriors and Rockets, who has the edge as this series goes into Game 5?
0: You know, I'm still going to say the Warriors. I know a lot of people are worried about how they're playing. Um, You know, Curry and KD missed their respective shots in Game Four. James Harden is on fire, but we've seen this story before. When it matters the most, the Warriors will step up and they will find a way to win. They're just too good of a basketball team when they're playing well together and they're all on the same page. Um, As much as the Rockets, you know, love to think that they're the perfect team to beat to beat them. I don't think they are. Outside of James Harden, his team is not a scoring machine. Um, give them credit, they play tremendous defense, but you saw in game 1 when calls aren't going their way, they tend to cry wolf and they they want to go audit games from a year ago. <laughs> um, you oh, know, I how, just think How stupid was that? You know, to me it's stupid to bring up a year later. And because that, that just really sounds petty. Like I would have I would have respected it more if you would have done it after game, you know, Sixers, whatever game it was, last year. Bring that up last year. And you know why it's dumb to be on the side note, Nick? To, for, the, for the Rockets to come out and say, hey, let's look into this, man. It looks fixed. Does the NBA want the Warriors to win? Nick, the Warriors have been in the finals how many years in a row now? Four going on five? You really think the NBA wants to fix it so they win again? If anything, the NBA wants a different person to win. That way, more eyes are on the product, right? Because you can argue. Some people are like, well, I'm not going to watch it again if it's the same teams over and over and over again. The NBA wants somebody different. So you can't even make the argument that this is fixed somehow for the Warriors to win one more title. So that was dumb. Um... I would have respected it more had they would have came out with their support last year, because now you're just holding a year long grudge, which doesn't make any sense, right? Did this, did this, how how long did the saints wait Nick to complain about the pass interference call? They, they came out the same day or the next day. Can you imagine if the saints didn't say anything? And then next year, the rest blew a call and the saints passed back to this past year to, to make an argument. How dumb does that sound?
1: Yeah, I think it's, hard to take them serious on this
0: when you miss 27 straight threes. And it's hard to take them serious when James Harden gets all the calls. I mean, you know, the internet blew up with that kind of stuff because it's true. As much as James Harden does get fouled, there are some that he flops on, and, you know, he does get a lot of foul calls. He does benefit from a lot of those calls. So for someone to say, these fouls are wrong, it's coming from the wrong person technically.
1: But uh, on James Harden, there, there's no doubt that he's a tremendous talent. There's no doubt that he's changing part of the way that threes are shooting. He's created his own shot. He gets to the foul line. The The, the game plan of Houston is shoot threes and it's the foul line. That's what Houston does. But... I think we're making a bit too much of a big deal on a few things that just seem so off. Like, you drive to the basket, you're going to get fouled. When it comes to the playoffs, you know, refs are going to call fouls, but they're not going to call every little foul on you. They're going to let the teams play at the end of the day. And when you drive to the basket, and you're James Harden, You might get hit a little bit harder. That's going to happen. It's the playoffs. Everyone's a bit more aggressive. Everyone's a bit more physical. Every possession matters. You're going to get hit when you drive. You're going to earn those foul shots. So I'm not going to make a big deal about his red eye. On the opposing team, Curry dislocated one of his fingers. That thing was gruesome to look at for a moment. You know, it happens. Kobe Bryant wore a mask after an All Star game. You know, th- there are times where you're just gonna get hit. So it's it's silly on what Houston's doing on this foul. Like you must call. No, no one has to call certain things. There are a couple technical fouls that don't get called each game. At the end of this, though, with this being a 2-2 series and this game being really so messed up, this is probably the biggest game of the entire NBA playoffs right now. And possibly the biggest game of the entire NBA playoffs after this is Game 5 between Houston and Golden State. And it's at ten thirty at night. And people got work tomorrow.
0: <laughs> West Coast, baby. Damn West Coast.
1: Uh time zones.
0: Anyway, who you got winning tonight and this series? Um, tonight I'm giving it to Warriors to the Warriors. Uh I feel like being back in their home building for game five is gonna be a huge boost for them. Um, I could easily see this series going seven, but I just think the Warriors are going to win when it's all said and done. This team is too good when they're all on the same page. And I know a lot of people are trying to find stories to write about how, oh, are the Warriors as focused as they used to be? Kevin Durant's leaving. We all know that. The Warriors know that. Klay Thompson might leave. The Warriors know that. There's plenty of reports that the Warriors are prepared for seismic changes, you know, come free agency because this is a possibility. But right now, I don't think there's anybody in that locker room that cares about who's leaving at the end of the year. It's about winning another championship as a dynamic group and further cementing their legacy as one of the best dynasties of all time. And if you think the Warriors are going to be, you know, arguing with each other or whatever other fake storylines you want to put out there or distracted that Kevin Durant might leave, I think you're just fooling yourself. The Warriors are a better team than the Rockets. Um it's hard to catch this entire team going cold. Yeah, they may have one player who's struggling, like Curry or something. But when it's all said and done, this team is almost impossible to beat. Um, especially when you're a one-man show like the Rockets are with James Harden. It's very hard for one man to carry a team um, for an entire series against a team that has four All-Stars. Um, you know, Chris Paul is a good player. You know, uh, Capella is a great player. Uh, The Rockets play good defense, but most of the offense is coming out of James Harden. And if you have one guy putting up all the offense against the Warriors, I'm sorry, you're in for a long night. When it comes to the Warriors-Rockets games, obviously it's
1: been an interesting series so far. But I would say this is more about the Warriors just not being able to come together yet, more than this is about how the Rockets are built to beat the Warriors. Because they're not. And the moment the Warriors start clicking, the series is over. It's just a matter of time on, can the Warriors get it all together? Can they become this unit that they've been these last couple of years? Can Clay Thompson start hitting his shots? Because when that happens, this series is over and dead. This is going to be an easy... I, I, I think this is going to be like a 15-point win by the Warriors tonight. And this game, this series is going to be over in sits in Houston because I think they are going to connect on this. The fact is, like the Warriors have not looked great these last two games in Houston. They've never been out of it. One game went to overtime. That that game was never supposed to go to overtime the way the Warriors were playing. So the Warriors are going to kick it into gear. And that series is going to end real quick. So, last question about the NBA. You've got, obviously, Kawhi, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Thompson. They're all going to be free agents next year. Many others in the same boat. Any of these guys staying with the team that they have right now? You said KD, Clay, and who? Kyrie, KD, Clay, and Kawhi. We are looking at them all, and they're playing. They're playing each way differently. Kyrie's pretty much been nothing for Boston these last few games. As Boston's on the brink of elimination, Kawhi's been everything for Toronto. Clay is. Uh, Stephen A. Smith had said like Clay is tired of getting like the crumbs for the Warriors, and KD is pretty much right now the best player in the nba but when lebron james is
0: healthy i'd argue the opposite so to me we all know KD's leaving because i just think KD wants to move on to the next chapter of his life right you know KD could retire tomorrow and there's always going to be this narrative about how he needed the warriors you know to win his ring so i think KD really wants to go somewhere else to lead a team on his own to go and do that to go win and get a ring um, Klay Thompson, I don't agree with Stephen A. Smith. I don't think it's a thing about the crumbs. I think Klay Thompson is very content with being a Golden State Warrior. I think out of those four, I think Klay Thompson is the most likely to stay put where he is. But I could also see Klay Thompson going to a team like the Lakers because why? His dad used to play for the Lakers and there's a lot of uh, family heritage there. Or he might even go to the Clippers because, again, from L.A., family very familiar with the L.A. area, So it wouldn't be too far to go away from there. Kawhi is an interesting case because we don't know. You know, no one really knows Kawhi Leonard besides Kawhi Leonard, right? I could see him staying with the Raptors, but honestly, he hasn't really had any help all year this year. And he's really carried the Raptors on his back, which you can argue is what he also did in San Antonio. So the real question is, does Kawhi want to keep carrying teams on his back or does he want to go to a team – That has a solid foundation and that can help him, you know, help teams win in a sense that way. Um, And Kyrie Irving's gone. And honestly, I have to really say it's pathetic watching Kyrie Irving in this series. He's playing like he's not interested. He's playing like he already has one foot out the door in Boston. And for the Celtics fans, you know, it's going to be rough when you lose this series because last year you made it to the Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie Irving. The Celtics are so much better off without Kyrie Irving. It's not even funny. I mean, think about it, Nick. The Celtics, without Kyrie Irving last year, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost because they faced LeBron James. LeBron James is not even in the East this year, which means the Celtics should be on their way to the Finals, and they're not because Kyrie Irving is a selfish player, um, and he doesn't mesh well with the team. The Celtics are going to be a lot better off when Kyrie is no longer around. And if I'm a team in free agency, I'm very hesitant to sign Kyrie Irving. I know a lot of people saying that the favorites for him to land is in Brooklyn or New York. But if I'm the Nets and I'm the Knicks, I'm not even sure I want Kyrie Irving. I think there's a good chance you can see Kyrie going out to L.A. with LeBron. But to answer your question, if I had to choose one of those guys to stay, I think Klay Thompson is the most likely person to stay where he is with Kawhi being a close second.
1: I mean, I really don't think any of them stay. Which
0: is also a possibility. It's very likely. It seems like free agency is going to be really, really wild, honestly. And this could be one of those years where the entire NBA gets turned upside down. But also, Nick, this is good for the NBA, right? Because after years of having the same matchup of Warriors-Cavs, Warriors-Cavs, this year it'll be Warriors and somebody else, the NBA, I bet you, is looking forward to this offseason because I feel like a lot of things are going to change going into next year. Yeah, this
1: this has all the makings
0: of like a power change between the draft and free agency. Things are gonna change, yeah.
1: and and we don't see this type of impact every like every chance. the la- The last time we've seen this type is just when you know LeBron James was a free agent, and the last time T- KD was a free agent. That's the, that's the last time we've seen like any type of this like power change, but. When KD was a free agent, he went to the Warriors, who was already the top team. And wherever LeBron James was going, he was going to create himself as the top team. As we're heading towards the end of the podcast, though, I know this has been more of an NBA and uh, NFL one, but I do want to go into the one little part about baseball because I was talking to a friend today about it. The Yankees are 21-15 and this season. And everyone's obviously been injured. And the one thing I'm tired of hearing about from Yankee fans is how good this team looks with everyone that's hurt. That, That, to me, is the complete joke of a sentence that shouldn't even be bothered to be said. First off, the Yankees are one of the top three teams in baseball going into this year. Of course, they're going to be good even without the players they've had, you know, they're not a terrible team. But this is not a good baseball team for what their record is. The fact is the Yankees have played nobody this year. Of their 36 games, you look at it and say 16 of them have been under 500 teams. And... After the series with Seattle, they're going to be playing the Rays. They're going to be playing then the Baltimore Orioles and the Kansas City Royals. Two teams that they've played a bunch already this year. 20 out of their first 53 games this season are going to be against Baltimore or Kansas City. The Yankees are not a good team right now. They're a lucky team right now. Because their schedule is probably the only reason they're this good. They're coming back and winning a few games. Yeah, that's great. But the fact is, when you play most of your teams with 98 losses or more in the year prior, and majority of your games to start off the year against Baltimore and Kansas City, any team's going to do well. And if you're a minor league roster like the Yankees have at times, they're versing minor league teams. So don't say the Yankees are good right now. They're just a really lucky schedule.
0: I will say two things about that, though, Nick. I will say, um, as a Mets fan, watching our teams always be hurt every single year, the one difference, when I saw a lot of Yankees getting hurt, I was like, finally, the Yankees now know how we feel. But the difference between the Yankees and the Mets is, one, the Yankees have a lot of depth on their team. And this is the problem. This is a good thing. When you have a lot of depth on your team, injuries like this don't necessarily matter. Even though it's against bad teams, like you said, it's still really impressive that the Yankees are just calling the next guy up and they're just taking over and doing a good job. Secondly, you know, you're bashing the Yankees, but I, me and you should feel like some proud parents, Nick. A lot of guys that are playing right now used to play for the Staten Island Yankees. And I'm not going to lie, even though I'm a Mets fan, it gets me a little bit teary-eyed watching some of these kids play. I'm feeling like I'm watching my kid go on to college here.
1: That part i is cool.
0: <laughs> it's seeing a lot of guys... Strada. When Dairos Jada hits his first MLB home run, I'm not going to lie. I got a little bit choked up. Yeah. It,
1: it was a cool moment. Uh, those, but, yeah, and it's not a, it is no way, shape, or form, like disrespect to the players that are playing right now. They're, they're playing. Oh, for, no. Fair no. enough. You make a valid point. They're, they're, they're playing great as far as that goes. And I think for Yankee fans, it's so different because this is more of a small ball team that just can't hit the ball like out of the stadium and into the next atmosphere and I think for Yankee fans they've never seen something like this they've only heard about this from certain teams that like Joe Madden coaches or something um, so I think that's different for them but you know at the end of the day they just haven't played any team with talent on it and that's part of the reason you're going to be winning. Only eight, because I'm not going to really count this. Seattle won today against the Yankees, right? So Seattle's technically over 500. But going into today, only eight games of their 35, they played over 500 teams. The Astros, they got swept by three games. The Diamond Bats, they lost both games to, and the Diamond Bats. They're not even what should be considered an over five hundred team when they traded away everybody and they're won- just
0: overachieving
1: right now. Yeah, they're they're more imp- they're like Seattle. We we thought Seattle and Diamondbacks were just going to be throwaway teams this year, just what everything they dropped. Right now, the two teams are over five hundred. A longevity of a season, these teams will not be over five hundred. They're going to be you know five hundred or under. They're going to be under 500 at the end of the season. They're going to win only 70 ish games at best. And their other series, which was against Minnesota, they actually won. They took two out of three. But that's also because Minnesota can never, for the life of them, win in Yankee Stadium. And that's still only two and sits against over 500 teams. And we're not talking about like a week into this season. Twenty-five percent of the entire MLB season is over right now.
0: Man, it's happening so fast.
1: Yeah, no, it's moving by twitch. You know what it is when all the sports are playing at one time. You forget how quickly baseball is going
0: right now. That is true. I actually, you know, that's a great point. And so, especially when these NBA playoffs take so long, um, because each series has to be a best of seven, apparently. Because I need, because I need seven games to know that the Bucks were going to completely wreck the Pistons. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, it's great that, you know, the Clippers made it six games with the Warriors and so, but they
0: had to come back by 30 in one of them. Right. Not just by 30, by 31. Ah. 3-1. Do the math, Nick. Illuminati. 3-1s. Right,
1: and with that, we always have our dude and dunce of the week, and we look back in sports history. So, we're looking back on sports history for May 8th. Obviously, Kentucky Derby and Peakness, there's just so many of them. Uh, Kentucky Derby happened on Saturday. Uh, An interesting finish on that one. The right finish, the right call. It was great to see them go into review. It took forever. And I was... You know, I was in Atlanta City, and it was just interesting watching everybody just staring at the TVs that are mostly on mute, waiting for what's going to happen with this horse race, um, on on the decision. But going back into sports history, so two thousand eighteen, James Patston now a New York Yankee, but for the Seattle Mariners, threw a no hitter. In two thousand fourteen, Clowney was selected first by the Houston Tetsons. And I thought this one was interesting, so I had to include it as well. In 1973, Ernie Banks fills in for top manager Whitney Lockman, who was ejected during the game, technically becoming baseball's first African-American manager. Nice. Yeah, I thought that was one where we had to throw in. It was either that one or the first unassisted triple play in organized baseball, by Paul Hines in 1878. So I got that one in there, too. <laughs> and with that, we have our two done of the week, and we mentioned Patston already with the no-hitter. Well, no-hitter happened yesterday by Mike Fires, his second career no-hitter, and I think the 300th ever in baseball. Uh, he only allowed two watts in that game as well, and a Runner reached on an error. Some great, great defensive plays for the Oakland Athletics in that game for the no-hitter to stay intact. Uh, But a no-hitter at the end of the day is going to get the dude of the week. But we always need a dunce of the week as well. And, Jose, who is our
0: dunce of the week? Well, we actually have two of them, Nick. Yes, I know I told you earlier I only had one. But actually, I had to have two because these two guys are straight-up clowns. One of them is Tim Beckham. Not Tim Beckham, Tim Anderson. My apologies to Tim Beckham. There's too many Tims in baseball now. Tim Anderson, if you're not familiar with him, he's the shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. He had a tremendous bat flip, or should I say bat throw, um, a couple weeks ago against the Royals. Um, The very next at-bat, he got hit with a pitch, which sparked a benches-clearing altercation. So I'm not giving him the dunce because he flipped his bat. I love bat flips. I'm not giving him the dunce for that reason. The reason why he gets the dunce is because he was explaining how he plays the game with emotion and how he's not going to change and that maybe he's the guy that's just changing the game and, and how to show emotion by calling himself, he's the Jackie Robinson of bat flips. Really? I mean, my dude, Jackie Robinson had to deal with racial slurs being hurled at him. Jackie Robinson had to deal with... With people hating him because he is who he was. That is not something you can compare yourself to. Bat flipping is just a formative expression. Tim Anderson, you are a loser for trying to compare yourself to Jackie Robinson in that sense of in that in any kind in that sense or any kind other kind of way. Um, that is a ridiculous statement. My second Dunce of the Week is San Diego Padres pitcher Chris Paddock, who if you're a Met fan, you know very well because he apparently has a problem with Pete Alonso being named Rookie of the Month for the month of April. He thought it should have been him. He was saying how he wants to be Rookie of the Year, all this other stuff, yada, yada, yada. My point is, the guy's acting like a super big crybaby for an award that's not even a real award. There's no physical hardware that comes with being Rookie of the Month of April. And like Pete Alonso said, if you're that mad, there's five other months to win the Rookie of the Month, my dude. Just be quiet and pitch. I mean, give him credit. I think he's a stud. I think it's wild that he was drafted in the eighth round. Shame on teams for letting him get past eight rounds. Shame on the Marlins for trading him for Fernando Rodney. But then again, it doesn't shock me because it's the Marlins. Um, He did good against the Mets. He dominated them. He dominated Pete Alonso. He's a great pitcher. But my dude, take a chill pill. Relax. Have some fun. You don't need to be all up in people's faces for that.
1: I don't know how you give a dunce of the week to a guy that goes seven and two-thirds, 11 days, and only four hits allowed,
0: though. Oh, because my man. I mean, he could have been easily been. He could have easily been our dude too. I mean, he's a fantastic pitcher. There's no doubt about that. What I have a problem with is crying over a fictional award. Really? <laughs> yeah. Then making the Mets pay for it. Yeah, but is it the Mets' fault though? I mean, I don't think that's the person who should pay. <laughs> like, they <laughs> were the one too.
1: That's for sure. Either way, I think it's also it adds excitement. That, that I will say. It, it adds some real good incitement early
0: on between two rookies, between Alonzo and Paddock. Oh, of course. But I also I also am—I find it funny the amount of people who have become Mets villains over the past couple of weeks. You know, you have Chris Paddock, who is coming at Pete Alonzo. You have um, Jesse Winker from the Cincinnati Rise He decided to wave to people when the game was over. And then when he got ejected, the fans started waving back. So, for as quiet as the Mets have been, they sure have gained a lot of enemies over the past couple of weeks, and I'm not sure why. And the AAA Mets are battling the AAA Phillies in brawls. Yeah, free Jacob Ramey. <laughs> Poor guy who was just trying to throw a pitch, and, and Reese Hoskins is trying to kill him. I don't get it. I don't get it. The, Met, the Mets are literally that meme where it says Mets don't say anything, but yet people are trying to rip their heads off. All right.
1: Before we end episode 49 podcast one other question on t- uh, today though Joey Dallow hit his 100th career home <laughs> run and which is impressive. He was the third fastest ever to reach 100 but I know you know where I'm going with this. He's the first ever player to get a 100 home runs Before hitting 100 singles. He also. When he hit 50 home runs. He did that before he hit 50 singles. Um, Is this. Like what's your thoughts. When you hear about Joey Dowell.
0: And this crazy stat. That he has to his name. I mean it's not even like. He just missed it by one. He only has 93 singles. So he's off by seven. (laughs) I mean, it's you know what I mean, it's not like it was a slim margin. Honestly, it's impressive, but it's also not impressive because what this tells me is you're just swinging for the fences every time instead of just taking a single. But, you know, when you're a power bat like that, I mean, why not? You know, home runs are, you know, home runs put runs on the board. You know, either way, you know, any way you slice it, as long as you're being productive, I mean, you can't be too mad. But would it kill the guy to to get on base a little bit more regularly? He is having a great season.
1: And obviously, this is a guy that doesn't hit base hits. I, I thought it was really interesting because I've also read a few articles on bunting on the shift. And he was the, he was the prime A example to use for bunting on the shift. Real low average, tons of power, 40-plus home run guy, doesn't get base hits. But this is a great way for him to catch up to those home runs that he's hitting. If he starts bunting on the shift, if he wants to try and, you know, surpass that. But uh, crazy stat of just, you know, 93 singles, 100 home runs. The next closest guy was 170 plus singles. Nearly double uh, to what Dallow has. So that, that to me is the interesting stat of today. With that, though, episode 49 is coming to an end. But with episode 50, that is going to be coming out next week. We're going to still figure out a date for that one. We're doing, though, a whole different podcast. It's going to be the top 10 GOATs of all time in sports. So we're going to be taking all different sports uh, sports players and ranking each GOAT. For top 10, we'll give our reasons of each one. We'll give how we break down this scenario. And we're doing this as our special occasion for our 50th episode. We've been looking forward to doing this one for a while now as we've had it planned. Uh, Jose, uh, how excited are you or anything for it before bringing up episode 50?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty excited, man. I mean, milestones are always a big thing. Um, to do 50 episodes, you know, it's very hard to, with you know, with both of our schedules, uh, you know, we're, we're regular people just like the people listening at home or wherever they're listening to. Um, so it's very hard to come together and, and sit and have these discussions. So to have our 50th episode is pretty cool. And I think that we're saving a, uh, uh, a pretty fun discussion for our 50th episode too. So I have a feeling this is going to be a good one because of, of all the possible ways this can go.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we see eye to eye on some things and other times we're in total disagreement but this one's going to be interesting because you know we'll have creating our own ranking for it and one guy could be in 10th for you and it could be like a top three guy for me or not even make the list so th- this will be an interesting one on how we break this one down i'm certainly excited for uh... the 50th episode as always you know Strauss on the beard is part of the s and cha- uh... and d podcast channel and always look to check out all the other podcasts on the S&D Podcast channel. You know, Steve does a great job on it as well with his show. You got other ones that, if you're a big wrestling fan, I know Kofi Kingston is still the WWE champion. Last I checked, they've got the wrestling podcast. So just plenty of different podcast episodes to check out on the S&D podcast channel. And as always, Sarasso and the Beard is on that as well. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 49. Once again, I am Nick Sarasso.
0: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera.
1: Enjoy your rest of your night. And thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard.
0: At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic and you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. Like the breaking ground on new construction things, the every box and barcode matters things, and the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me.